Harlem Capital Partners is a diversity-focused venture capital fund headquartered in New York City. We're on a mission to invest in 1,000 diverse founders over the next 20 years. Current count, 24. Welcome to Road to 1000. Today, we're bringing you part four of our Female Founders series, a collection of honest conversations with trailblazing female founders who are thinking big picture about the state of women in startups and tech. In this series, we'll go deep on what it looks like to scale a business from the ground up, navigate a fundraising process, and overcome curveballs, all while defining success on your own terms. Expect vulnerable and thought-provoking conversation on constantly evolving issues such as the lack of women in executive roles, the double standards applied to female founders, and the impact of venture capital on company growth and startup ecosystems at large. Today, we're speaking with Carolyn Rods, founder and CEO of Hello Alice, a free digital platform that connects business owners with the resources they need to launch and grow. So to begin, I would love to hear a little more about the journey that led to you founding Alice. I started Hello Alice really as the answer to what I wish I would have had when I started my first company uh, over 15 years ago. I left a career in investment banking and uh, really jumped kind of sight unseen into entrepreneurship. I had watched my my grandparents run a company and my father run a business. but was in a really different space and and wanted something more creative. And so I started in in the retail industry. Um, I really learned every lesson with my first company the hard way. I certainly had a network of bankers um, and in the corporate world, I didn't have a network of entrepreneurs. Uh, And I, I, there were a lot of questions I think that I struggled with in terms of where to spend money, when I should be making certain decisions, um, you know, when I needed to make the decision to, to hire new employees and to build up the team, um, how I should be allocating my time. And it was all really confusing and it didn't seem like there was a, a sort of source of truth um, for what the next step for my business needed to be. And so ultimately that business failed. I ended up closing it after two years, started a second company uh, in a totally different space. Um, partly because I realized retail wasn't, wasn't my jam and, and partly um, because I really wanted to prove to myself that I could make it uh, as an entrepreneur. And that second company I ultimately sold to uh, what was then one of our clients. And it wasn't until that happened that all of these opportunities started opening up to me. And I kind of got in this network. Uh, I was being asked to speak. I was starting to meet people. I, I felt like this whole world opened up to me at a time when frankly, I, I didn't need it because uh, I just sold my business. And, and I realized I was like, this would have been so helpful to me on day one. Uh, and that was really sort of the, the, I guess, almost necessity that I felt um, to start Hello Alice was how do we open up every single entrepreneur at day one to the networks and opportunities that they need uh, to grow? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. Um, I can definitely see how that would be really game-changing. I think something that's really interesting about Hello Alice is that it really makes the process of finding information about building your business a little more meritocratic. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about how you're thinking about equity and inclusion as you're building out Alice's offerings. Yeah, it kind of all goes back, I guess, to my my own experience. And I realize as as privileged as I am in terms of being college-educated and 
you know, having had a career in investment banking and in the network that I started with, how difficult it still was. Um, and a lot of that, the reality is I, I attributed to just the, the network that I had. I turned to other women. Uh, I turned to, again, people in the corporate space. I turned to sort of outside of, of the realm of what are this whole kind of Silicon Valley. At the time, it was really, I would say, um, very much in Silicon Valley in New York. Now I think it, it's, we've seen it spread a lot since those years. Um, but it's still very, very siloed. Um, and even in a city like Houston, you know, it's the fourth largest city in the country. I see conversations happening with a lot of organizations that are focused on inclusivity and focused on women and people of color and, and veterans happening very much outside of the tech and startup uh, ecosystem. And so one of the things that we really focused on is how do we actually bridge those conversations? Because when you think about concepts like design thinking or creating an MVP or fundraising um, or, you know, or, you know, accessing capital in general, those aren't specific to the tech industry. They're actually happening across all business um, and really should be concepts that are applied, whether you have you know, a dry cleaner on the corner or whether you have, you know, a, the next kind of innovative you know, tech unicorn, um, all of those concepts really should be bridged together and, and shared with both communities so that you can start to find those rising stars that might currently classify themselves as a small business, um, which is the same way that I thought when I started my first company. I, I very much saw myself as a small business, mostly because I had no idea that I could be considered a startup uh, in the space that I was in. Yeah. So I, I guess for me, the, the biggest thing I think as I think about what our role is in all of this is how do we have one conversation about what it takes to start and grow a company um, and really personalize the experience based on what a business owner's aspirations are, um, based on the resources that they need to get to the next step, instead of saying, you know, here's sort of the, you know, at a very surface level, here's kind of the formula that you fall into and in, in the conversations that you're going to be exposed to. Yeah, absolutely. I love that very holistic way of thinking about inclusion. Um, so that's great. On a slightly different note, I noticed that Alice recently launched a COVID-19 business resource center for small businesses. Very timely. I'm curious what drove the development of that initiative and also consequently what you think are some of the most critical challenges facing small businesses and startups as well in light of the coronavirus. So prior to uh, the coronavirus, we consistently saw across every demographic and every geography access to capital as the number one need for uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs. Not surprisingly, that's only become um, more prominent uh, resulting from COVID-19 where businesses need capital to stay alive. Um, the conversations that are happening again in the tech industry and small business are very much unified right now in terms of everybody needs quick access to money just to stay alive. And so on our team, what we're constantly looking for is how can we tactically help small business owners grow? Um, and it's not just having conversations and just sharing information. It's really what are the things that we feel like we can solve in hands-on way uh, by going to our, our corporate partners, by going to our government partners, by going to the venture community, um, by going to all the entrepreneur organizations that support these business owners and funding certainly was at the top of that list more than ever 
And so that was really the start of, of the center was how do we get money into the hands of these business owners as quickly as possible, which is what launched our grants program. We're offering um, $10,000 grants up to $50,000 grants to quickly help companies uh, at a time of need. But we also knew capital alone wasn't, wasn't going to solve the problem. Um, there were a lot of other issues that people were dealing with, everything from their own you know, mental health and anxiety to uh, you know, what do they do with employees, how do they streamline expenses. And so the, the COVID-19 Business Center is really a kind of one-stop hub to how do you sort through these things quickly and how do you get the information that you need uh, to grow um, and, and to actually use that capital wisely to support your business. Um, so we put it all at, at COVID19BusinessCenter.com so that it's accessible to everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And I think the COVID-19 Business Resource Center is such a great example of how well you and your team do understand the landscape of small businesses and their scope and reach. And I'm curious about how you got to that point. So I think especially at the seed stage, every startup works through the challenge of finding that product market fit, really understanding who they're serving. Could you talk about an aha moment you had when you realized that you had found that fit? I think the need was always really clear, partly because I am or was, I guess, the target market. I would still say am because we're still growing and learning along the way. Um, so I always try to think about what are the things that would be helpful for me as a business owner um, and what are the ways that I would want to process it and what worked when I was starting out and what didn't work. Um, so that's sort of always my, I guess, like center point in terms of you know, as we're building, I'm, I'm every day kind of just doing a mental check of would this have actually helped me? The, the aha moment really came years ago when we started a, uh, an accelerator, it was a virtual accelerator, where I knew I had this need, uh, and so we started this accelerator, we started kind of rolling it out to others, and very quickly the press just jumped on it, and we had such an inflow of demand for what we were offering that it got overwhelming, and so that's when we said, okay, we've actually have to scale this, uh, it was meant to sort of scale to, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of entrepreneurs. We quickly realized that we actually needed to build something that would scale to millions of entrepreneurs. Uh, and this also kind of kicked off a, a pivot for the business because initially when we were creating Alice, it was, it was very much about, you know, how do we help support female entrepreneurs specifically who tend to be the primary caregivers in their homes. They tend to have a little bit of, um, a little bit less flexibility in terms of packing up and moving and going to join a startup accelerator. That was really sort of the first piece of it that we were trying to solve for. And as we started digging in and realizing there's such demand, it actually has nothing to do with, with geography. It really has more to do with access to information. Um, we realized this was an issue that impacted every underrepresented group of entrepreneurs and um, pivoted Alice from supporting just women entrepreneurs and just women in tech specifically uh, to really supporting every single small business owner. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I think very cool how the mission expanded. Um, and with that, I'd love to dive into fundraising and speak a little more about that part of the journey. I'm curious at what part of the process in building Alice did you begin raising outside capital? And as you started investing um, with this kind of mission that where equity is, is pretty inherent to it. Was there anything specifically that you were looking for in your early stage investors? Yeah, our mission is 
so core to everything we do. Um, every time we make a hire, certainly we make sure that it's, it's, you know, our values are really aligned. Um, Elizabeth, my, my co-founder and I, one of the things I think why we work so well together is, uh, our values, we had once did an exercise at this conference where there were like 60 cars and we had to pick our top three values and our bottom three values and then match up with a partner and kind of explain them. And Elizabeth and I had exactly the same top three and exactly the same bottom three out of the stack of 60. Um, so I think the values alignment piece is so important. Um, and that is, is first and foremost with our investors. And we have walked away from capital at times when we really need it. Uh, because there were there was a misalignment in in values, or we felt like um, you know these weren't uh, investors that that fully believed in the mission above above all. Um, and so uh, that's a hard decision to make when you need money. Um, but in in hindsight, a thousand percent the right decision. And I'm so proud of us that we did that when it, when we really did have to stop and and have a serious discussion about it. Um, the other piece is, I think, in terms of when we decided to raise, for us, um, it's always been kind of, I think, a race against time more than anything else. And we knew we could bootstrap this all the way through, um, and we did sort of weigh out the pros and cons to that. Um, but it was important for us to sort of get a, again, a really tactical solution out there as fast as possible. Because uh, we knew everybody needed it, and we knew eventually somebody was going to build it. And if we weren't first to build it, um, we would lose that opportunity. So we started um, very initially kind of bootstrapping our MVP and, and got that off the ground. A lot of it lived on my own credit card um, and then on my own expense account. Uh, it then moved over to bringing in partners. Uh, Dell was our, our very first partner that gave us a pretty significant amount of funding to help build the first iteration of our technology. And so we got through that wave. Um, and, and that was really what opened the door to, okay, I think we're, we're at a point where we're ready to fundraise. And we've pushed this you know, as far as we can get it with the money that we have. So let's bring in some investors and really take this to the next level. And we continue to do that. I think now it really is more, you know, it's become less about a necessity and we can sustain our business on its own, thankfully. Um, but again, it's that race against time to be like, how can we move faster and smarter by bringing in capital um, so that we can, again, bring in the best talent, make the best decisions and, and do things the right way um, versus having to operate out of necessity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the values alignment piece that you mentioned is really interesting, especially as gender license funds and social impact funds are taking up more and more space in the VC ecosystem. I imagine that'll be a bigger part of a founder's checklist as they're raising. Yeah, we, we go through, I mean, this, I would say a similar interview process in terms of how we hire an employee, knowing that we're actually bringing these investors on as owners in our company. And that's a really big decision when you think about they're not going away, like they're going to be there forever. You're going to engage with them forever. Um, and we have been so fortunate that our investors are, I think, um, one of our strongest assets. Elizabeth and I look at them like they really are part of our team. We call them all the time. We share information with all them all the time. We're super transparent in terms of where we are, what we're building, um, where we're succeeding and where we're struggling. And, and it's, a, it's a really open kind of two-way relationship. Um, and we also look to support them in ways that we can. They all have portfolio companies and, and other investments that they've made. So uh, I think we're fortunate and that we're in a good decision to be able to support 
the growth of those companies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a, a two-way relationship. I'd also love to hear, you know, I think fundraising has been more and more, you know, gaining notoriety as being notoriously difficult for female founders, female founders of color, especially. And having gone through the fundraising process yourself, where do you think that fundraising process and the venture capital ecosystem at large could improve to better address issues of racial and gender equity? So I think the the hard facts are that fundraising fundraising is difficult for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It's a time-consuming and difficult process. I think that the number of times, I mean, certainly there are those outliers of somebody who, you know, had investors knocking on their door and it was so easy to raise money. And um, But those really are, you know, the exception um, to the rule. So I think it's important to start there. And I always tell every business owner, like it is, I don't care who you are, it's going to be tough. That where it gets particularly tough for women and people of color and and, and what we call new majority entrepreneurs is you know, it goes back to that network. Um, I will say, you know, for for Elizabeth and myself, almost all of our investors came through some sort of um, personal relationship, and and we're fortunate in that our business helps us build those relationships. And so it wasn't, they weren't pre-existing relationships that we just had because we were born into some, some fortunate circumstances. We certainly were not. Um, But they were relationships that we built over the years of our, our careers and um, certainly our time with Hello Alice, just getting to know the ecosystem and taking the time to really invest in those relationships. We also spent a lot of time staying connected with investors um, after we've raised capital. And so just continuing to give updates to investors that told us no. Some of those that told us no came back and told us yes in subsequent rounds. Um, And so I think that relationship building piece is so critical, uh, but it's harder. It's harder when you look different. It's harder when you live in a different city. It's harder when, you know, all of those pieces don't match up with the venture community. Um, And I think that's, where women and, and, and new majority entrepreneurs have to take that extra step. Um, you have to work twice as hard to build those relationships. You have to go above and beyond in terms of delivering. And you have to, to, to prove that you're a relationship worth having. And then that ask, uh, once, that, once, that sort of, once you've proven yourself, I think that ask becomes uh, much easier. But really looking at, at venture capitalists as they're a part of your network and the relationships that you need to build and foster and nurture. Um, and you can turn to them for guidance and you can make asks and you can get sort of mentorship and, and advice along the way. And I think when people start to see you're a hustler, you're going to take advantage of every opportunity. You work super hard to, to reach the goals that you're working to reach. That's when, you know, people start to perk up and say, okay, you've delivered on the last five things that you've set out for yourself. Now it's time for me to pay attention and actually hear what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It's about the personal grit and resilience and just the ability to continue going through what can be a slog of a fundraising process. Um, So yeah, that's, that's very inspiring. Zooming out a bit. um, I'd love to hear, you know, as a prominent female leader in tech, with a female co-founder as well. What does building a diverse team mean to you? And I'm also curious about your if your view on diversity, you know, what diversity is, why diversity is important. Um, has that evolved since you began your career in investment banking? 
Yeah, I think it's always been really important to me. I started off in investment banking out of a group of over 60 people. Um, there were two women. And um, when it came to people of color, it was an equally small group. Uh, as a Latina female, uh, for me particularly, I, I kind of I see both sides of it in terms of, you know, just what cultural perspective brings to the table, um, what gender perspective brings to the table. And I think when you have a homogenous group, whether it's you know, whatever it may be, uh, it's, it's really difficult to see kind of beyond your own world. And if you're trying to build a tech company that serves, you know, the masses and that really has scale and that has a potential to grow, you have to be able to see beyond your own bubble. Uh, certainly, I can bring the perspective of a, you know, female Latina business owner in Houston, Texas, but that's a really limited view of what business owners need. And so it helps for me to talk to people um, from all different perspectives all the time. Um, so we look at that certainly within our team. Um, we, we see diversity as, you know, that's age, that's gender, that's ethnicity, that's backgrounds and experiences and, you know, how have you lived your life and what, you know, circumstances were you, were you served and what did you do with it? Um, to even things like, you know, what, what are, you know, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? What is your, you know, who are you connected to? What does all of this mean together? Because all of that brings pieces of, of this big puzzle together. Um, so we're always trying to sort of fill in gaps that we see on our team, whatever those may be, both in terms of skill set and experience, but also in terms of just perspective and, and mindset um, and personality. I mean, we've, we've talked about everything from, hey, we've got a lot of extroverts on our team. Let's look at bringing in some introverts because it'll bring us some new and fresh perspective. Yeah. So I think that piece is really important that I think the diversity conversation, when it comes to sort of just checking boxes, I don't think that works very well. And I don't think it's really impactful because the reality is you can have people that look very different that actually think very much the same, or you can have people that look the same that actually think very differently. Um, and so I think it's more about what do you bring to the table that is, is different and outside of um, the norm for, for your business. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, I know we're coming to close to the end of our time, but I do have two more questions that I'd love to hit on before we wrap up. So I think another widely discussed issue related to diversity is motherhood. And I think I've seen so many interviews with female CEOs who are also moms. They're asked if they can have it all in interviews, whereas their male counterparts who are fathers wouldn't normally be asked such questions. And so there's clearly this double standard, but I think from reading your interviews, motherhood is, is clearly an important and a really meaningful part of your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey as well. And so I'm curious when you speak with people, whether that be the press, whether that be other investors, I'm curious how you navigate that tension of speaking, speaking openly about motherhood um, while also keeping the focus on your business and all the work you've put in there. Yeah, I am I'm very much an open book, I think, when it comes to talking about the, the things that sort of shape the way I work and what work means to me. I think my, my children are actually one of my greatest assets when it comes to, to doing work. I have a tendency to sort of be a workaholic. I love what I do, and I could do it 24-7. Uh, I'll say the, the one thing on this planet that I love more than my job are, are, is my family. And so it sort of forces this, this balance for me in terms of really having to take some white space. Um, and I think the best ideas for my company really come from when I'm, you know, at the park playing with my kids or doing something really unrelated. 
because I start to connect the dots in interesting ways or I'm you know, working on, I mean, right now I'm doing a lot of homeschooling on the side. So uh, just digging into these projects with the kids, it sort of start, it, it challenges you to think in a different way. Um, I mean, I've learned things from playing video games with my eight year old that I'm like, oh, this would be really cool to like, just see how people are sort of incentivized to do certain actions to work that into a technology product. I would never play video games on my own because uh, it's not really an interest of mine. And so I think it, it adds, again, it sort of adds that, that new perspective to things. Um, and also having to explain things in, in terms to children. Um, it really does sort of open up the way you talk about things. So my kids always ask about what am I, what are you working on or what are you doing? And having to explain what it means in, in, you know, six-year-old terms or eight-year-old terms or what used to be sort of three and four and five-year-old terms uh, helps you really simplify and break down concepts. So whenever people ask me about it, I, I'm happy to chat about it because I actually think it's an asset um, in, in multiple different ways. Um, just in the same way, I think lots of our, our life circumstances that, that could be sort of obstacles actually challenge us to think in new and fresh ways. Uh, and then I, I think on the flip side, I mean, I look at it a lot. My, my husband is also an entrepreneur and I think how unfortunate it is for him where he doesn't get invited to sort of bring that part of him into the workforce as, as much um, as I do. And I, I hope through all of this, that's one of the kind of, I think, silver linings to, to coronavirus that, that I see is it's, it's sort of stripped back this kind of work uh, facade, I think, that a lot of us have that women probably have a little bit less of out of necessity. I think for men, it's stripped back a lot too. It's, it's funny seeing him now with the kids in the background on his Zoom meetings and just getting much more comfortable. I think it's made him much more comfortable and his work colleagues much more comfortable about you know, being forthcoming with, with those parts of, of their worlds as well. So I think the more we all start to kind of bring that to the table, that's when we'll start to see a lot of this um, you know, kind of equity start to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I love that perspective. And um, last question on that same note of finding fulfillment in your in all parts of your life. I'd love to close with how you define success in your career and, and in your life. Uh, I look at my you know, whole life as kind of a, um, as a, a, it's sort of a continuous journey, right? I think when I look at like my, my failed experiences and my successful experiences, they're not sort of a, a, an end and a beginning. It's really just sort of a, a notch in the path of, of where I'm going. And so, um, you know, people ask a lot about like, how did you overcome that failure? And what does that mean? And what does success mean to you? And I, I think it's, it's all part of this, like just big, long blended timeline that we're learning every day. And so I don't really see success as, as you know, when I hit this moment, everything will be better or here's where I'm trying to go. It's just, I want to wake up today and do a little better than I did yesterday and make a little more progress than I made yesterday. And I think it's going to open up great opportunities and interesting experiences and, and you know, really great things. Um, but who knows what that means in, in five or 10 years. I do know I'm, I'm never complacent. Um, it's just not in my nature. And so I'm always kind of challenging and trying to, trying to push, um, I would say bigger and bigger boulders forward. So I, I bite off a little more um, every day, but it's, it's exciting. And I can't wait to see what, what the next one is. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great sentiment to end on and something we definitely all should be keeping in mind. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It was great hearing more of your perspective, and we really appreciate you sharing some more of your insights with us. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check out our other female founder interviews for even more insights and advice. To stay connected to all things Harlem Capital, you can find us on Twitter at Harlem Capital. Until next time, keep building.